primary care knowledge boost, team working and leadership. Welcome to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Today we are joined by friends of the podcast, Dr. Amar Ragani and Dr. Joanna Bircher. Yeah, you may know Amar from our recent episodes on leadership and Joanna predominantly from COVID-related episodes. Um, so today we are focusing on team working in the context of leadership. We chose this topic based on the chapter of their jointly authored book called The Leadership Hike, Shaping Primary Care Together. Yeah, but in our chat, we focus specifically on examples today that we've chosen. So based on potential conflicts within the primary care team. Yeah, for example, um, when members of the team might not get on um, or how to manage interruptions of a surgery. Yeah, we hope you enjoy it. And we'll be back at the end of the chat to fill you in on our learning points. Um, so we'll start off with some introductions. Um, and Joanna and Amar, you've both been on the episodes before, um, but would you mind introducing yourself just for anyone who hasn't um, heard your previous episodes? Yeah, so I'm Joanna Bircher. I'm a GP in Greater Manchester in a small town called Staleybridge. Um, I'm also clinical director of the Greater Manchester GP Excellence Programme. Brilliant. And my name is Amar Ghani. I was a GP till a couple of years ago in North Sheffield in Chapter, working with a fabulous team. I'm now Provost of the RCGP in um, South Yorkshire and North Trent, sort of working across the northern region. So today we are talking about team working in relation to leadership. Um, so we thought we'd start with a, a bit of a broad framing question um, and ask why is it important to talk about that? Right. Well, maybe I could throw that back and say, why not talk about that? Because one of the things is that leaders legitimately should be interested in everything. Um, when you hear leaders talk to, to others, they usually say, keep me informed. And that's for a reason. It gives us that broader perspective that just helps the team to move forward, identify priorities and so on. So yeah, we should definitely be interested in, in team working. More specifically, we talked earlier on about how leadership is making the most effective use of our influence. And we said we all have an influence, but we can learn to use it better. I reckon I'd say that the team is probably the conduit through which we exercise most of that influence. So team working is really the channel through which we operate. It's also the channel through which we recognize and learn from our leadership activity. Um, we see whether we're getting it right or not, and we can see how we can improve things. So team working, participating and learning from it is, is incredibly important. Um, maybe we could spend a couple of minutes th thinking more specifically about the things that leaders do in relation to team working. So here's a strange one to start off with. Leaders can actually help a group like a community, a practice community, to decide whether we need a team or not. So that sounds weird because we call ourselves a primary care team. But the reality is that we are not a team as we normally define it. We're a community and lots of groups within that community um, do things in different ways. We all have, you know, ostensibly the same purpose, which is to provide excellent patient care. Um, but we may have different priorities, you know, and sometimes those priorities may be a bit at odds with each other. That becomes a real issue when we start working across different agencies, different organisations, which although they're, they're part of the NHS maybe, um, they may have, you know, different different goals. Um, team leaders or leaders can, can help a group to decide that actually we need a team here, which means that we need a group of people who have quite specific goals, who are quite clearly working together to achieve a particular objective and maybe have like a plan for how they're going to do that with some definite outcomes that they need to achieve. 
that would that's what I would say a, a team in this context actually means. So some of the specifics we have, yeah, we can help a group to decide that we actually we need to group people to form a team. That helps to control expectations, which is helpful. We can also make teams more effective. And this is a surprising thing. You know, effective teamwork doesn't just happen. So <laughs> there are a couple of researchers called Hersey and Blanchard. Their work is pretty well known. They talked a bit about the life cycle of a team, sort of saying the team sort of start off really not knowing very much and needing instruction really on what to do. And at the right at the other end, groups of people who are teams who have worked together maybe for a long period of time on similar work, they pretty much know what to do. They don't need a lot of telling. Um, they need more support. They perhaps need leaders to delegate. So if you like, leadership partly helps to shape the form that leadership takes in the context of how ready the team are to do the work that they need to do. We do some other stuff as well. So as well as knowing when to tell people and when to support or coach them or with really experienced people, when to just delegate to them, we can help to give that team a sense of direction. So within the wider context, so you know I was saying a moment ago, everything's important to us. We get a heads up, we get an idea of where we need to be going and that can help to give a team a sense of direction they might not have found, if you like, for themselves. Sometimes it may be counterintuitive, a bit against what they're currently doing, but if you like shaping themselves for a future that we as leaders know is coming. So, for example, you know, how we're going to deal with the backlog, how we're going to cope with access problems and so on. We're going to have to be doing things quite differently in ways that, that single issue teams may find quite difficult to, to support or understand. Um, we can do some things that we've talked about before. We can help a goal to decide on its goals. We can certainly help to shape the motivation, but because we know the people, we know their interests, we know their aptitudes and so on. We can help to keep teams going when their energy flags. We can also make sure that teams don't just achieve or not achieve, but they learn from the work that they're doing. And we can make sure this is really underdone. We can make sure that teams are rewarded. There are all sorts of ways of rewarding them. Maybe the most important is acknowledging good work that's done. You'd be surprised or maybe not how, how rarely we seem to do that. Um, I just want to mention finally one thing that is quite important that I don't think teams would do for themselves. So people like Tuckman and others have talked about the fact that groups of people don't just work harmoniously together. When they come together, even if they feel passionately about achieving the same goals, they'll start to rub, rub against each other rather than rub along with each other. They'll have, um, there'll be conflict between them and they need to storm, as the books call it, you know. That's a phase that you can't avoid. And if you don't do it, you don't move forward successfully into the future. Now, as leaders, we know that. We can anticipate that and we can make sure that we create a safe space and a safe environment for people to say things that might be unsayable or address what we call the elephant in the room. Um, just to do difficult stuff, because it's always difficult stuff, even between people who on the face of it seem to like each other. So there you go. There are a few things that um, leaders can do that make team working more effective. Yeah, I think just um, to add, though, anyone that's emerging as a leader will who's ever done any kind of work or community work or voluntary work, who's been part of a team, knows when they're working within a good one and when they're not, um, but often doesn't um, can't identify what it is. 
um, that means that, that about the person that's leading that team that makes it work or not work. And I think that's some of the stuff we really want to highlight today so that you can move from knowing what it feels like to be within that team to knowing what it, what it means to create that team. Um, because, um, you can't solve problems on your own. Teams do that. Um, and, and working within an effective team tends to bring more joy to your work. So why not talk about it? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And teamwork absolutely could and should be fun, as as we know, yeah. because we're a team doing this little podcast together. And it, well, from my point of view, it's a fun thing to do. <laughs> absolutely, it's <laughs> lovely. So yeah, we've uh, approached this chat with you today, thinking about practical examples of uh, conflicts or scenarios or problems that we've encountered or uh, talking to some of our colleagues things that they've encountered as well so we thought we'd sort of throw some of them at you um so that you could um demonstrate s- some of your approaches to leadership and and team working and how how things can be solved in a in a practical way uh so we think it's safe to say that most of us have worked in a team at some point in our lives where we've just not gotten along with certain people um you know, there's always a bit of conflict within teams. Not everyone is going to get along. Um, so how do you work with people that you just don't get on with? Right. That's an interesting question. And I guess, you know, we, we, we perhaps should ask ourselves, well, why do we have to? Why do we have to work with people we don't like? And from a leadership point of view, there's a question even further than that, is that why should we want to work with people that that we may not like? Um, I'm going to mention a sort of technical term, which is affinity bias, and I want to mention it because actually it's absolutely human. Um, we all have a bias to 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 want to aggregate, to work with, and encourage people that we naturally like. That's normal. So just recognise and and bear in mind that you know we are all going to be biased that way. Lots of good reasons why we should be. Um, working with people that we like means that we have sort of smoother relationships, less friction, um, maybe we have more in common. You know, they sound like good things. They do give us an easier life. And actually, mm. liking people is not only good for us, it's good for the team. You know, liking people makes relationships easier with them because it's actually easier for us to connect with them and to care about them. You know, it's put the other way. If we don't like someone, it's harder to engage compassion, you know, for example. Um, and we know this is an important point. The evidence shows that, uh, people benefit for being cared about. You know, that's the basis of compassionate leadership. We don't just do it because we think it's ethically or morally good. We do do it for that reason, but because actually people are far more productive um, if they believe that they are that they are cared about and cared for. So this is important, and liking is part of that. But liking people may not be the priority. It's important, but it may not be the priority because we we want to work with people that we need to work with, rather than just people we like to work with. If I can put it that way. And why is that? It's because as we describe in the book, it's all about adaptability. You know, we're facing issues and problems that probably we haven't faced before, not in this way. And we need to be adaptable to try and understand it, see it from different points of view, use different skills to try and address it and so on. And that adaptability comes, comes really from bringing in people to our fold who we have less in common with because they are different from us, you know. Because they're unlike us, it's easier to dislike them, if you see what I mean. (laughs) That happens. But you might ask, you know, isn't liking people a good sign that we've got, you know, common ground? And surely that's really important, you know, for us as a team. 
Well, yes, that's true. But actually, it, that commonality doesn't have to be based on liking people. Perhaps the most important commonality is that we're signed up to a shared vision and signed up to a shared commitment. You know, this is a problem we agree we need to do something about. We're committed to work together to do something about it. So what we're saying really is that that adaptability, bringing in people who think differently and have different skills is important. But we're also pointing out that almost always that is going to create friction. I read somewhere um, that actually, you know, friction is good. It's It's the heat. It's the heat without which nothing cooks. And that's a nice way of looking at it, you know. We've, it isn't just a recipe, you know, with a bunch of ingredients. We actually need a bit of heat to generate the, to, to cook and produce something quite wonderful for, from it. Friction is stimulating. It makes us think and do things differently than we might have done. You know, it, it, it's, it's basically stimulating us not to accept or feel too satisfied with the status quo. And, I'm sorry, or maybe I'm not sorry to say that, you know, that's what leaders do. They make us, uh, they make us dissatisfied with the status quo because we're always trying to improve on where we are. And generally speaking, you know, most people are okay with that if we, if we do it well. So put another way, maybe we should ask ourselves, you know, if I as a leader feel that I'm in harmony with people, that I'm not actually experiencing friction with anyone on the team, then maybe I should ask myself, you know, what am I missing? What am I missing? What are we missing that maybe could help us all? We did an episode previously that talked about people's strengths and diversity. I'm not going to repeat that. It's all talked about there. So I guess I'd sort of end this bit by just saying um, that actually it's good to like people. We're not saying it isn't. It's good to like people for reasons we've said. But it's even better to value them and to harness their contribution. So I'd suggest that if we can start by trying to, as a priority, if we can try to value people and help them to be fulfilled in the work that they do, then the, I'm not going to say likelihood, but there's a good chance that actually that affinity that I mentioned earlier on between us and them will grow. And that affinity will, will, in one manifestation, become a liking for each other. So but start with valuing, start with including people and making best use of their strengths. I think if we do that, we do what's really needed for the team. And I think the liking will follow. That's my thought. But Joanna, I'm sure we'll have something interesting to say on this too. I mean, I, I think the point about you need diverse people within your team and um, and be fearful of um, surrounding yourself just by like Amar says, people like you, um, you'll miss, you'll miss a trick. And, um, and, and generally, a leader's role, you look hard enough, you'll find something to like about people. There always is. They bring something unique, uniquely them. Um, and sometimes that, that's hard. Um, depending on, you know, what kind of clash that you have, it may be a, a clash of kind of value systems. They're the hardest ones, I think. Um, but actually recognizing that in the outside world, and people do have different different values and and they do bring something unique to your mix. So Yeah, it's like an interesting way of looking at it. Um and trying to step away from the emotion, I think, mm. involved with it and trying to think about what they bring to the team. Um so the next scenario is that we have a clinician that's in the middle of morning surgery um, and they're consistently being interrupted by different members of the reception team to address non-urgent tasks. 
Um, do you have a, an approach or any thoughts about how you might go about addressing that as the clinician? I mean, I absolutely love this example. It's so real, isn't it, to our world? Because um, yeah. um, um, our poor um, teams on the front desk are asked to be so reactive to things that come through either on the phone or, or through the door. Um, and you, what you just said before, um, Lisa, about um, separating yourself from the from the emotion, from the gut reaction, I think um, is probably the most crucial thing that you can do as a first tip for a leader in this situation. So, um, when depending on, of course, how how busy or how difficult your own day has been, you are a you are a leader, but you're also a human being, and the temptation to to react. Um, kind of quickly or um, inappropriately for that particular interruption because it's a, it's the end of a series of 10 or, yeah. and you still haven't typed up the previous consultation and your head's still full about a complex thing that you're actually not sure if you made the right decision and all those things that go around our heads as clinicians in, in primary care constantly. So separating, being aware, the self-awareness side, really crucial, isn't it, to leadership? In fact, to all kind of practice aware that you are feeling kind of a little overwhelmed, a bit stressed. And the only way of, um, of really getting, sorting this out is to take a few deep breaths, try and stay calm and choose a response rather than a reaction. Um, really, really crucial. Um, so uh, it, it's a, and recognize it for the leadership challenge that it is actually, because there's a problem here, um, which is that, um, it, it's not just a problem for you. It's probably a problem for the person that's interrupted you as well. Um, so this isn't, this is a shared, this is a shared problem. Um, so a really useful, um, kind of technique is to think of it in that way. This is a problem for me. It's also a problem for them. They don't want to be hanging around outside the door knocking. Are you still on the phone? Is there anybody in there? Are they going to snap at me? That, cause they know most, you know, people who work on reception teams and, um, with you know that it's difficult to, to, um, for you to do your job. You know, they're not, they're not that, they're well, well aware of that situation. So, um, I think, so take a bit of time out in this situation and think about it as this is a challenge that we both need to fix. So this isn't you versus me. This is you and me versus this problem, which is that you're constantly being asked um, on the front desk to react to things which require a clinician's opinion. And yet that clinician is also doing lots of other things. So if you kind of frame it as a shared problem for solving it actually kind of harnesses the skills within your team as well so it makes for much better team working so you're not you've stopped being kind of boss in that situation who has the answers but you're as a leader you then ask the right questions so you focus it as a shared problem and then you take a bit of time out with that immediate um circumstance so separate it from that circumstance and find out what it feels like for that person who's needing to to make those interruptions because actually they may have already thought of a whole series of different solutions that you can't because you're just the person that's being interrupted and you you only know half of that story or maybe even less than half of the story so this is a really um in, in a, when a leader is leading a team it's where the listening skills are so crucial you will you will build this you will build skills within your team if you use really good listening um, and kind of exploring that that kind of problem solving so kind of recognizing as i said the consequences of them on on the fact that they need to interrupt you as well as the consequences for you um, and frame that so crucial first step take a few deep breaths try not to react try to think of a response and then welcome this this is a fantastic team building leadership opportunity that you now have a shared problem. It's a problem for you. It's equally a problem for them. So this is a fantastic opportunity for team building. If you 
can can take the time out to think about it in that way. That would be my kind of tip for that, if that sounds helpful. Yeah, some good ways of thinking to how to frame it, isn't it, really? And then approaching it differently. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought that, that was beautifully put, actually, Gianna. And it just reminds me as well of um, the fact that we we need to acknowledge and use each other's expertise. So as leaders, being able to say, look, you know, help me out here. You're the expert. Um, you'll have seen this before. There, you know, there, there are issues involved that I might be aware of. There are suggestions you might have that I wouldn't think of. Find some way of saying, you know, you are the expert in the context you're working with. You know, let's let's discuss this. You know, using each other's perspectives. Um, that can be a real help. Yeah, good. Um, so moving on, our next question is about fair work distribution or feeling. Uh, that work is distributed fairly. So our particular example is more to do with a situation in which you might have um, people who are working on the same level, but one of the colleagues isn't doing as much work and possibly is is very good at delegating to other members of the team. Um, yeah. So how do we go about trying to um, trying to approach this? Do you think? So, basically, I'm going to use the phrase dumping on colleagues because okay. that's a feeling we all have, you know, at times when actually things are done and we just recognise that actually I shouldn't be clearing this mess up or I shouldn't be left with this. You know, this was your responsibility. You should have done it. And that happens right across the team. It isn't just down to clinicians and so on. Um, I'm just minded of an example. And this is not um, from real life, if you like, um, but it concerns a doctor who... Uh, goes off on holiday, but before she before she goes, um, she fails to sort of clear her inboxes and deal with the tasks and so on that she should have done. Um, and it's a problem because the work is found um, in her absence, and somebody else has to has to do it. So how do you do that? Um, and I guess I'd say first of all, the temptation may be to do nothing about it. You know, can we sort of say, well, there's probably a good reason and they've not done it before. It's probably just a one-off and everybody's entitled to sort of get it wrong or to miss doing this and so on. And we also worry that, that if we raise it, you know, we're going to face hostility, you know, we're, we're, people are under pressure. We're already making excuses for them. But I think we need to recognise that, that doing doing nothing is never doing nothing. Doing nothing is actually doing something, but it may not be the something that we intend. So what I mean by that is that particularly when we're talking about, if you like, holding people to account for agreements they already have, what we do is really being watched because when people don't honour their agreements, that really strikes at everyone's sense of fairness and justice. You know, this is the basis on which we work, that if people don't do what they're supposed to, they need to be held accountable. So don't do nothing. and Don't assume that doing nothing is, is going to be read in that way. I'd, I'd also say don't make assumptions. So I've mentioned a few already. We might be thinking there's a good reason for this or that. You know, there might be something going on in their, in their backstory and their, their life circumstances that account, could account for it. Don't make assumptions. Um, and resist the temptation to react, you know, rather than to respond. That's the other way. People sometimes go, both go blaring in, in all guns blazing, if you like, assuming that you've done it from malintent. No, find out more, you know. Make people aware that that you've been made aware because you, they will definitely know. So be open about that. There is an issue. I'm looking into it. 
um, find out more so you can react appropriately. And that's always going to involve how could it not discussing it with the person involved. I'm not going to go into how you do it. That's a whole thing in itself. But I would point out that because we're talking about compassionate leadership, we act with compassion. What I mean by that is that in my experience in the health service, we are rarely in practice dealing with bad people. We are usually dealing with people who are in a bad situation. And maybe what we need to search for is what the situation is and what the reasons are, whether they're legitimate or not, and so on. There are other ways in involving people. Harking back to what Joanna said a few minutes ago, these are shared problems, okay? This is not just something between me and the person involved. These are shared. Sometimes they don't understand that that this has implications beyond themselves. They can only see their own job and so on. And it might be an eye-opener in a positive way for them to recognise that actually their behaviour and what they do and so on influences others good for good and sometimes for ill. So recognising that people are concerned and are influenced by them just helps to raise their, their awareness, if you like, their importance, if I can put it that way. You know, they are important to us. Um, finally, I just want to draw a parallel with SEA because this was a bit of an eye-opener to me. You know, significant events, particularly clinical events and so on, I don't think I've ever come across a, a significant event that actually didn't involve, involve some sort of system issue. Yeah. We always came up with, you know, once we get beyond the human compassion, the understanding, the connection, I can see where you are. Um, you know, there, but for the grace of God go I, that famous phrase that we often use and that, that wish to support people who are going through a tough time and may have done something that, that actually um, wasn't in the best interests of the whole, whole team. Um, but beyond that, there, there are often system issues that don't just affect them, but affect other people. So with the example I've given, um, I know that um, there are often uh, workload issues and so on behind that, uh, that people, particularly if they're in an employed situation, may feel that they don't have the time or are not being given the time to do the tasks and so on that they are required to do. I'm not going to say that they do this, if you like, as a cry for help, but to a degree, they may be pointing out that what's being asked of them is not sustainable for them. And if that's the case, because mostly we're not dealing with bad people, then it's likely that there are others are going to be feeling something along you know, similar lines, which if it's not affecting them in the way of what's perceived as dumping on colleagues now, may do further down, further down the line. So I think, again, it's a good thing to go in with understanding, to try and find out more, to not prejudge, to make it clear to other people we've recognised, understood and fully intend to address the issue so fairness and justice will be, will be recognised. But also when we talk about it, that we make it clear to the person concerned that we are willing to seek out and learn the wider issues and try and rectify those for the benefit of the wider community. So this doesn't seem, to, this is not seen as, as an exercise in retribution. Yeah. So there are a few of the things that we can do to take that situation forward. Yeah, I'm definitely seeing the slight theme of the, um, yeah, the sharing the problem, that it's not me versus you, it's we're dealing with this together, um, which I think would completely change the dynamic of some of these conversations um, if I was experiencing them probably from either side. And 
And I think I just would love to reiterate that lovely point you made at the start, Amar, which is um, doing nothing is not doing nothing. That I think many of us have worked within teams when we've been led by people whose approach to difficult things is to not do anything because they can and um, they foresee the consequences of perhaps tackling um, the person who's perceived to be the problem as being causing kind of them to get some kind of um, a negative response and they're fearful of that but as a result all the people who may be experiencing that behavior um, they're all then potential victims of that and you've not done you know you actually have done something in terms of not recognizing the impact on them so um, definitely go in with a genuinely open mind and, and seek to understand and and share the problem but don't do nothing that's perfect um, so we focused quite a lot um, so far on questions that are relevant to sort of ourselves and, and colleagues that we've asked um, about what we wanted to talk about today. Um, but do you have an example um, yourselves of a, of a leadership or team working dilemma that involves sort of the practice wide setting? So when Amar and I were talking about preparing the teamwork podcast, it was um, an interesting, we just had a very interesting situation within, um, within our practice where we'd recognized that, um, historically we'd not been allocating people's holidays correctly. And, um, we hadn't, um, in the past employed, uh, outsourced our human resources and contracts and things. And we have done more recently because we recognize we're not experts in that field. And fortunately there are, you know, bodies out there that are. So it's helped us to, to really get systems and processes better. Um, but then as a result, it's, it's brought up, um, you know, to the forefront some things that we'd not been doing well. Now, it was an interesting, um, thing to happen because it could on the face of it have just looked like a really kind of straightforward managerial task that we just need to tell everyone how it is now. And these, these are the holidays. And it was an issue related to how bank holidays were allocated to people who work part time. And I think anyone who does part time work knows how complicated that can be. So it's not, um, it is quite a difficult thing to get right. Um, but it meant that in this situation, there were historically, there were going to people who, who'd won out, who'd got more holidays than they were actually entitled to and those who had lost out. Um, and then in the future, that situation was clearly going to be reversed, but it would be, you know, correct in, in line with contracts. But, um, it was really, um, interesting because our practice manager is fantastic and she recognized this as being a sensitive issue. And I think, um, when we think about compassionate leadership, you can't, not recognize actually people's holidays is something that's really important to them and it's precious and and if you value your team you have to have a wider recognition of the things that they also you know the value and the things that are important to them and I and it was just I think just that moment of recognizing this goes beyond the the simple uh, you know straightforward contractual allocation of of holidays is I think a really useful kind of leadership skill to have and because that then shapes how you convey that message, doesn't it? It's, um, it's that we, you, the recognition in advance and, and the importance, I think, that we felt to be very, um, kind of, kind of that authenticity, that upfront, that fessing up to the fact we have made an error and we're really sorry about this. So, sorry for the people who had missed out in the past and now sorry for people who, for whom that's going to change now but actually it does need to be right for everybody it is in line with employment law and and kind of recognition about how we now how we uncovered this error um, and what we were going to do about it um, and there was also some really interesting chats about the kind of dynamics within the practice in terms of how the message was conveyed and who did it and um, so we had a, um, a lovely conversation with our um, practice manager where 
we were debating the kind of pros and cons of different approaches. She felt as manager, she was accountable. And therefore, because of that accountability needed to be the person that shared that message. But I was actually fearful of a dynamic whereby the partners in the practice were deemed to be the kind of big bosses in the sky who were sending the practice manager to do the, to do the difficult work and not taking responsibility. So a, a kind of an awareness of how it could be perceived by different people so that that um we'd really thought about that in advance and that that changes the language you use once you've once you've really thought about the issues and how it might land it does alter how you then have that conversation because if you get getting that kind of thing wrong can actually really demoralize a team and and so teams um, obviously happy teams work work well and and we knew no small things can knock the knock the happiness of a team and something like you know, the winners and losers in this situation could, could be something like that if it's not handled carefully. So uh, it's sometimes about a recognition about the, you know, the, the impact that, that something might have on your, on your genuine, pe- pe- you know, we're in a people business, aren't we? We want to make sure that we kind of understand and compassionate towards the people that are within um, the teams that we, that we lead um, as much as the kind of patients we care for. Absolutely. And to me, you know, Joanna's made, made a really, powerful point with that lovely example because why force people to to think about you know an artificial distinction between work and life i recognize that in some ways it's important the legal system makes it so and so on but if our attitude is that we want people to to live happy and fulfilling lives that's what we're about you know and a large part for for a large part of people's lives uh, work is a central part of that so I put it that way, you know, that we want people to have good lives because it means that when we read that the small stuff is actually the big stuff, in other words, knowing what's going on in the family's life, you know, what anniversaries are coming up, whether you've had a bereavement or not, we can see that the small stuff is actually the big stuff. Something like holidays, the example that we've just had, is really important. You know, holidays matter so much. It it isn't, if you like, just an employer's... um, remit or responsibility to make sure that they have enough and have it fairly. It's an important part of how people live. So I'm just saying that as leaders, if we open our mindset fully to engage with people such that we want them to have good lives, that just helps us to move forward uh, much more strongly because people know we care about them beyond the work that they can do. Um, And I can tell you from personal experience People engage so much more strongly because they know that, that this matters to you. Why wouldn't that make them uh, much more connected to you and much more likely to to contribute strongly to the work that we all need to do? Yeah, okay. Well, it's been it's a lovely topic in general to think about and spend some time thinking about because it's so important to be working in a team and it's sort of trying to optimise that as much as possible and value all the members. So it's, it's wonderful to spend some time thinking about it and how to, how to do well with it. Um, what are your take home points? Would you say the two of you from today's discussion and, and some tips that maybe about where to go, maybe resources or where to look next for people? So I, I, I think, I think for me, um, we are all part of, part of a team. Um, it's important that we actually we, we get to understand each other and to recognize that the tough stuff is including people who see the world in quite different ways, who can contribute to the world in quite different ways, and to be open-hearted as well as open-minded. So we seek to include people 
who are different and will create friction with us. That's a tough thing to do, but it's hugely beneficial. Um, and I also think that having compassion for people, so we want them to, to not only to live well and work well, we want them to have good lives and use whatever capacity we have to try and make that happen. In terms of further reading and so on, um, Michael West's book on team working, I think, is uh, De Rigueur. We reference it in our book. And, of course, The Leadership Hike, um, which talks a lot about the mechanics of team working and also how to talk to people, particularly in difficult situations. There are many tips in there with examples that I think people will gain from. Okay. So um, I think what we were talking about in terms of shared problem solving is a lovely thing for teams to be doing. And um, and the role of the leader within that, I guess, is to make sure that the opportunities and the conversations happen that allow um, when something has arisen that's possibly caused a conflict or of something we mentioned before related to interruptions or, you know, something that's difficult for one or more members of the team is that you use and that opportunity as a way of um, sharing that problem solving gives you a, a real important task to do. Um, and, you know, getting in an environment where people treat each other with that kind of respect um, and listening is, is, a, is a good thing for a leader to set up generating opportunities. In terms of um, great resources, I'm a huge fan of Laurie Santos's podcast, The um, Happiness Lab, which as a, as a leader helps you to become more self-aware in terms of how your own kind of outlook on life can change how you um, lead your team. So yeah, wholeheartedly recommend it. It's a wonderful podcast. Oh, lovely. Thank you both so, so much for today's discussion. It's been lovely. Thank you. So it was lovely to speak to Joanna and Amara again. I always enjoy our conversations with those two. Um, what did you take away uh, from today, Sarah? Yeah, it was gorgeous, wasn't it? Um, I really liked the way both of them kind of added different things to the conversation. It was really nice, the yeah. way they're dynamic. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I did like that their approach was very much a deeper look at the problems, really. So our approach or my thinking when we were talking about the questions before we went into recording was a sort of top tips and kind of practical approach and actually a lot of it is more a step back and actually very yeah. much thinking before reacting and looking at sort of attitudes beliefs and and then yeah what are you going to do about it and sort of planning a bit of a longer term approach yeah. to it so yeah I thought that was quite nice actually yeah no I think you're right um, I um I'd written down that it was quite nice um Amara kind of defining a team um, and what a team actually is because I think that does help with some of this um, thinking about how you can work well in a team and then I also kind of reflected that some of the bits that he was talking about in how to make an effective team were actually fairly similar to the episode about knowing yourself so um, things about like knowing your motivation um, your skills and um, your limits all of those bits can actually be applied to the other members of your team if you're leading a team uh, and that way you can be a more effective team and a, and a better leader of that team I think so that was quite interesting just seeing that coming forward um into like the team working as well yeah that was a really good one I really liked when they're talking about um how, how do teams work together how do you work with colleagues that you don't necessarily like um mm. and I really I, I think yeah like you say sort of points that have been covered before but are just great to reiterate are things about the affinity bias and yeah. that actually you can value you know people for different reasons and you don't have to like people but you have to you have to value them I think that's, that's such an important message it's a really have. important message 
And also the bit just in general about um, don't make assumptions about people. Mm. Um, I think I'm really guilty of doing that. Um, I'm just assuming that people are doing things for certain reasons. Um, <laughs> but actually you can see how detrimental that could maybe be. Um, so yeah, I think that was a really good point um, for me to take home. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was the very um and yeah, the 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 final bit that I, I had written down, which I again I'd said in the episode was just about how um this approach is very much um that it's a shared problem. Yeah. Um and it's 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 just less of a battle, I think. It's less of a, a you and me, yeah. um like a we're against each other situation, which I think can sometimes happen um whenever you're in a team that maybe isn't working as well. Um but if you just take that step back like you said there and you just think about it mm-hmm. um then making it a shared problem just seems so much more cohesive and, yeah. and nice and i think you can see how that would lead to a much nicer environment to work in and, and how problems can actually get solved that way um so yeah i thought that was really lovely yeah lovely so um that's it for today's episode so if you'd like to get in touch with any feedback or uh comments you can you can rate and review us on apple podcasts or any other methods um and thank you for those who are uh, or our survey which we've got a link to in the episode description uh, or we've got our, our Twitter handle is at PCKB podcast and our, I'll do the whole lot today. <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> and um, our Gmail, uh, our email address is primarycarepodcast at gmail.com. Um, and we, we love to get feedback. Um, if anyone wants to get in touch um, and you're scared to do so, then please do because we absolutely love getting emails and getting tweets and, and finding out what people are thinking about the episode. Um, so thank you for everyone who's done that so far. Till next time on Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Hey guys, just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public. This was recorded in Greater Manchester in 2021. Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time, so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before making treatment decisions. Uh, The content is based on our interviewee's opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast. Check out the episode description for full details and any links that we've mentioned in the episode.